You're listening to an audio sermon from Hope Bible Church in Oakville, Ontario. For more information, please visit our website at hopeoakville.ca. Good morning, church. My name is Craig Turnbull, and I get to serve as one of the pastors here on staff. And uh, I said this to you on Christmas Eve if you were here, but let me just say it again, because as Christians, as followers of Jesus Christ, we can celebrate holidays all throughout the year and the reality of the incarnation. So if you will, forgive me, it's a little bit late, but let me wish you a Merry Christmas. And what a joy it is to recognize and remember the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. And while I'm at that, let me just say Happy Easter as well, because we can celebrate the resurrection and victory of Jesus Christ also. Uh, If you've got a Bible, I don't know if I said this already, please turn with me to Proverbs chapter 3. For the next couple weeks, just like school, we're on a two-week break from the book of Acts. Uh, Not on a break from God's word, mind you, but a break from the book of Acts. And In fact, uh, in Proverbs, for these next two weekends, we're going to be walking through specifically God's word at looking at the idea of wisdom and the importance of wisdom for the day ahead. And so this two-week series is just called 2020 Wisdom, a little play on words, emphasizing perspective and clarity of vision, and that's what we're going for, clarity and perspective of wisdom, looking at the blessing and the urgency of wisdom and looking at the days ahead. And so just so we're on the the same page, let me give you a really technical definition of wisdom, and let me give you the definition we're going to go to these next couple weeks. A technical definition of wisdom would say something like this. Wisdom is the quality of discerning what God says is true, of, of determining what God says is right, and then acting in a way that God says is accurate. Uh, So determining and discerning and acting in a way that God says is accurate, all from God's word, mind you. Uh, Here's the definition we're going to go to again and again in the next couple weeks. Here it is, this slide. Wisdom happens when I embrace the principles of God and apply them to my life in a skillful way. I see the principles of God, I embrace the principles of God, and then I deploy them, I apply them in my life and in your life in a very skillful way. That's what we're going for. And wisdom is so necessary as we consider the new year. I don't think it takes a genius uh, to look around and see that the world around us requires of believers, of followers of Jesus Christ, massive amounts of wisdom. The moral fabric of our once conservative culture is undergoing a revolution at speeds we have never seen before, many of us. Uh, Truth has been made subjective, and now I have a truth, and you have a truth, and she has a truth, and he has a truth, and those truths don't need to line up because it's my truth, and I get to decide the rules. And with that then comes gender confusion, and with that then comes confusion about the meaning of life, and confusion about freedom of speech, and confusion about my identity and my value as a human being. And all of that is just socially What about the need for wisdom politically? What about the need for wisdom ecologically? What about the need for wisdom economically? The need for wisdom, follower of Jesus Christ, is so hugely important. We need this as we seek to understand how we live in this world. So here's what I want to do today. Actually, here's what God's word communicates to us today. Wisdom brings rewards. We should want wisdom because it brings great rewards. When you act wisely towards God and men, you will find success on many levels in this life. Let me just summarize today's message, today's point in just four words. Here it is. Find wisdom, find reward. Find wisdom, you find reward. 
I just added a fifth word, but you get it. Find wisdom, find reward. Proverbs 3, verse 1. You guys are there already. Let me read the text. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. So you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. All right. Find wisdom. Find reward. Let's look at this. Point number one. It's this. Very simple this, this year. Super simple. Find wisdom. That's point number one. Find wisdom. Look back at verse one after you've written that down. Find wisdom. My son says verse one, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. Now the question here we're gonna ask immediately as we look at the text is ask the question, who's talking here? Well, what we can know from the book of Proverbs is that King Solomon wrote the book of Proverbs. We know that from Proverbs one, verse one. That's Solomon, the son of David. Solomon who was known for, what was it? His wisdom, right? How much wisdom did Solomon have? Well, the writer of 1 Kings tells us, and God gave Solomon wisdom and understanding beyond measure and breadth of mind like the sand on the seashore so that Solomon's wisdom surpassed the wisdom of all the people of the East and all the wisdom of Egypt. Does anyone ever talk about you like that? Craig, your mind is like the sand on a seashore. Mostly salty, pretty much empty, but that's what it looks like. <laughs> you get it, right? Solomon, wisdom with a capital W. Massive amounts of wisdom. Okay, quick question. If, let's say you and I uh, go to Indigo Books, and, and we want to get a book that's called How to Walk on the Moon. And we talk to the worker at Indigo, and we say, okay, we're looking for this book called How to Walk on the Moon. She punches it in the computer, and she says, okay, we've got two books by how, uh, that are titled How to Walk on the Moon. The first is written by Neil Armstrong. He's the first man to walk on the moon. And the second one is written by Justin Bieber. Which one would you want to get? Well, which one should you want to get? You should want to get the one that's written by the authority. You should want to get the one that's written by the person who has the credibility to write something like this. And that's what the book of Proverbs is, written by the wisest man who ever lived, speaking truth and wisdom to us. And this man who wrote this book, one of the things he does is he creates a fictional character of a, a type of a father and a type of a son. And he did this earlier, and he uses them to communicate back and forth with one another. And so that's what we're reading in Proverbs 3.1, these fictional characters speaking back and forth and telling what wisdom looks like. We read this again in verse 1. My son, says the father, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. Don't forget what you have heard me say. Don't forget the teaching I've given you. Don't forget the commandments I've given you. Why is this? Verse 2, for length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Why should you not forget wisdom? Well, because if you don't forget wisdom, if you apply wisdom in your life, you're going to have a long life. And you're going to have peace. That's the Hebrew word shalom. You're going to have a long life and peace with wisdom. Puzzled look. Long life guaranteed, peace guaranteed if I walk in wisdom. Ah, uh, I've got a question. Maybe you do as well. Just hold on to that question for a second. Look at verse three. 
Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck and write them on the tablet of your heart. Now, son, says Solomon's character, be faithful, son. Be faithful, son. Faithfully love, son. Love who? Love the Lord is the implication. Now, you take them. Take these truths that I've given to you and you've heard and put serious effort, son, towards writing them around your neck and writing them on the tablet of your heart. Don't, don't, don't wimp out on this, son. Work hard at this, son. Strive at this, son. This is important, son. Bind them around your neck. Now, what if, what if the father had said, write them on your walls like in other places? in scripture. Write them on your walls. What if in the modern day equivalent, uh, go to your computer, print off a coupon, go on to Costco, upload the artwork of the verse that you want, print it off on a canvas, go pick it up six days later, walk it home, unwrap it, put the nail in the wall, hang it up on the wall, ah, verse on the wall. That's good. That's great. But that's not what he's saying. He didn't say, hang it on your walls. He didn't say, write it on your walls. He said, write it on the tablet of your heart and bind it around your neck. Why did he say that? I think I know why. Because usually, usually, you take your neck and your heart with you wherever you go. That's the emphasis, you see? The emphasis is on a continual, never-ending embracing of the truths of God's word over and over and over again. Not just at home, not just at church, not just at the workplace, but everywhere you step foot in this life, you are continually soaking in the truths of God's word. The emphasis is on this continual embrace. Verse three is the command, continually love the truth, son. Now look at the province, verse four. So you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. If you embrace the truths of God, if you love wisdom like this, if you find wisdom like this, son, then, then you will find success. Here's the truth we're getting at from this main first point. Wisdom comes from the word of God. Wisdom comes from the word of God. The more that I have whiz, the word of God soaking in my life, the more the soil is ripe for wisdom to grow in. They don't grow apart from each other. If I don't have the word in my life, I can't have wisdom that I want in my life. I can't just run out and strive for wisdom apart from the word. If I have the word, then that gives me an awesome opportunity to have wisdom as well. They go hand in hand like dance partners, Fred and Ginger, or something that's less than 100 years old reference. They go hand in hand like peanut butter and jelly. You can't have one without the other. You cannot find wisdom without the word. They go hand in hand. So there's a pause there for us in application for 2020 and the years ahead. What is your plan to prioritize wisdom in your life? Now, I don't just mean reading plan. We'll talk about that in just a second. What is your plan to prioritize a regular diet of God's word in your life? What needs to change to make that a priority? You want to live with wisdom in this life, and you, yet you don't have the time for the word of God? Something needs to change. Let me ask a second question to that. If God's word is not currently a priority, speaking authority and speaking words of wisdom into your life, what voice is the priority? What voice have you opened the door of your life to and said, come on in, speak authority? 
You picture the knock on the door, knock, 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 knock. Who is it? You open up the door. There's Mr. Worldly Wisdom. Hey, Worldly Wisdom, what you got for me? Hey, you know what, Craig? If you let me in your house right now, uh, and let me in your life right now, I'll tell you what. I'll, you, can, you can figure out the way to do it, and you just, we'll just go with what works and what makes you happy and everything that's great. And you say, oh, come on in, Mr. Worldly Wisdom. You knock on the door again, and then there's Mr. Entertainment at the door. Hey, Mr. Entertainment, what do you got for me? Well, Mr. Entertainment says, well, I'd like to tell you how to live life. Live life for your fullest and just enjoy things. Have you seen the new Netflix things? Oh, you should check that out. Check out this new game. Check out this new activity. Check out this new hobby. Go ahead. Come on in, Mr. Entertainment. And he comes as well. How about media or things you listen to? And telling in the wisdom of the world, how about knock on the door, third or fourth knock on the door, and there's your buddy Gus from work, and Gus has got all these great ideas about how you should live, and I've figured it out, and you should follow me too. And pretty soon you got five people in your living room shouting out instructions and telling you how to live life. We just open the door for anyone with any promise. I promise you peace, come on in. This will make you happy, come on in. This will get you wealth, come on in. Come on in. Come. Would you do that with your regular house? Hi, I'm here to sell steaks. Come on in. Want a vacuum cleaner? Come on in. Everybody's in. You wouldn't do that with your house, but you do that with your life. What you're hearing and what you're reading today is there's another knock on the door. And at the door is God saying, here it is right here. Here's the wisdom right here. It's been here for thousands of years. Millions of followers of Jesus Christ have found wisdom in these pages. It's found in here. God says, I invented wisdom. I know what it is, and I wrote it down. But you're not looking at it. Let me just say this. Any idiot can write a check promising you joy and hope and peace and meaning in your life and lasting pleasure in your life. Any idiot can write a check with their mouth like that. But only God can bankroll it. Only God can make good on the promises of lasting joy, of peace, of hope in this life, of purpose for my life, of pleasure that lasts beyond the fleeting instant of this life. Only God can bankroll a promise like this, and God is holding out the promise. This is walk in wisdom. That's why we need wisdom so much. And if wisdom is what you want, then you cannot do it apart from the word of God. You won't find it apart from the word of God. That's why we prioritize, we talk about this every, at the end of every year, why it's so important to get a Bible reading plan and sit down. You make the priority, but now where do I read and what do I read and do I just start reading anything? Well, we, we put a few on our website. They're really easy to find. Let me show you how to do it. If this is me doing it, here's our website. Resource, click, click. I'm not doing this. <laughs> Pass Robbie, hi Robbie. Bible reading plans, there they are. We put it right there. Resources. Bible reading plans, right there. Thank you. You get the idea. I was on Ligonier. It's another great website. Uh, Ligonier this week, and we don't hold proprietary rights to this. They're not sponsoring us. But Ligonier, I was checking out. They have over 50 Bible reading plans. You want to check that out? You can go there as well. Making the diet of God's word. And by the way, can I just say this Bible reading plan timeout for a second? If you get a Bible reading plan with check boxes, do not let that bind you this year. So many of us start a Bible reading plan, they got a check box, you feel so good January 1, 2, 3, 4, look at me go. 
And then you go back to work. It's harder. Uh, and then you hit the great wall of Leviticus, and then you just fall over and stop. <laughs> if you get a checkbox on your reading plan, don't let that judge you. Do you know it's okay to miss a day of not reading? Do you know it's okay to say, I, uh, I know the whole counsel of God's word is great, but I'm not going to go back those three days I missed. I'm just starting fresh. Just check them off. You go ahead. Don't let your Bible reading plan, a piece of paper, cast judgment on you. Our little legalistic hearts want them all done, all the boxes tidy, everything great. God wants your heart diving into the wisdom of God's word. Don't let tick boxes stand in your way. Grab a reading plan and go. Okay, find wisdom. That's the first thing I want to say. But let me show you why. Just before we do, back up to verse 4. It says, so you will find favor and good success in the eyes of God and man. What's he saying? It's saying that wisdom, if you find wisdom, according to God's word, you find wisdom, not only will the world look upon you and say, well, that guy seems to have it all together. That mom seems to have it all together. But God will say that about you. God will say, now there is a successful man. Now there is a successful woman. Is God saying that about you right now? All the more wisdom then, right? All the more, all the more reason then to find wisdom in our lives. But it does beg the question, what does success look like in God's eyes? What does the fruit of wisdom look like? Point number one was find wisdom. Now point number two is this, find reward. Find wisdom, find reward. Find wisdom from the word of God. We embrace it, we cling to it, we live by it, and then we do find reward. What kind of reward, though? Well, in the verses that follow, we're going to see four different rewards that come when we choose to walk in wisdom. Here's the first, verse five. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Here's the first reward of finding wisdom. It's this, a freeing faith, a freeing faith. As the word grows in my life, so too does wisdom and so too does the sense of freedom and faith to God. When I find wisdom from the word of God, listen, it will cultivate within me a deeper trust of the Lord. Look at the wording, verse five. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. Look at how this trust is described. With all your heart, we're to trust him entirely. With everything I have, I trust him completely. No safety nets there. I believe God is leading. I'm trusting him completely. I do not lean on my own understanding. I, ex I trust him exclusively. Only you, Lord. Only you, Lord. With my whole life, only you, Lord. And then I trust him extensively. In all my ways, acknowledge him. My whole life, even the closets, God, you get it all. I trust you entirely. I trust you exclusively. I trust you extensively. And when we have this entire, exclusive, extensive trust in God, it brings greater clarity to our eyes as we look at the life around us. And then all of a sudden, wisdom begins to grow faith in us, and we can walk with confidence in the days ahead. It's a freeing faith. It's freeing me. Wait a second, wait a second. I don't need to know the answers to my life. I don't need to understand everything because God understands everything. I don't need to have all the strength and all the power and all the ability and all the resources. God has that. God has control. You see, what God's saying through this verse is take the hands off the wheel. You're not in control of your life. God has always been sitting in the driver's seat, always with his hands on the wheel saying to you even now, stop reaching over. 
Stop grabbing the wheel. I know what I'm doing. Just trust me. And wisdom says, okay, Lord, okay, Lord, I believe. And look what happens, verse 6. And he will make straight your paths. Trust him. He's going to do what's right. He'll make straight your paths. Now, this is not God removing the obstacles you don't want to deal with. This is God accomplishing with precision his plan and purpose for your specific life. His design for you, bringing you to the goal line of your life. This is God perfecting you. We, I'm sure, all had plans for our own lives. If you could go back and talk to your 18-year-old self or your 21-year-old self or your 30-year-old self, some of you aren't that old yet, don't remind us. And you could ask them, hey, what was your plan for life? Has it been turning out? I bet you 99% of us would say, yeah, no, not exactly as I planned. In some ways, it's been a lot harder. I didn't see the pain like I thought I would. But God's plan for your life, for every single follower of Jesus Christ in this room, is working out 100% exactly as God designed. Not a wrong move, not a wrong turn, not a mistake anywhere. It's perfect. Designed exactly that way. And God's primary design in my life for perfection is to make me like himself. And I'm sure of this, says Paul, that he who began a good work in you will carry it to completion. The Lord who calls you will fulfill his purpose for you. He who calls you is faithful, he will surely do it. When God starts a project, he doesn't set it aside for another time. You know those projects you've got in your house that you started, maybe dutifully as a husband or a wife, and you got started. I got it started, honey. But then there it sits three years later. Am I only convincing myself of this reality? Some of you have this too, I know. You know how we are, we start a project and like, ah, and it's like, it's good enough. God's not like that, you know? God is the exact opposite of that. When God picks up a man or a woman and says, this one's mine, purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ, and the end zone is holiness, God will stop at nothing. God will never stop. God will never put you down. The project is never done until you're done. That's God's perfect plan for your life, bringing you to look more and more like his son, Jesus Christ. And what happens is when we entirely and when we exclusively and when we extensively trust in God's plan for us, that frees us from worry and anxieties and fear. Yes, but ultimately it frees us to rest in the passenger seat of this life and say, okay, he's making me more and more into the image of Jesus Christ. As God says to you, hey, take the hands off the wheel. Stop reaching over. You say, okay. And then what happens? How does that change? 2020? It changes 2020 like this. You open your eyes on the new year and you say, okay, I don't know what's coming this year. Or maybe, okay, oh, I know what's coming this year. Or maybe, okay, it's more of the same this year again, with no hope in sight of change. What a freeing faith gives to you is, okay, but this is God's plan, and whatever comes this year, it will be God's will. And whatever comes this year, God will do what is right. And whatever comes this year, God won't kick me out of the car, he stays with me. 
He will never leave me. He will never forsake me. There is nothing that can separate me from the love of God in Christ Jesus. I'm there until the finish line. I don't need to have the resources. I don't need to have the knowledge. I don't need to have the ability. I don't know what I'm doing, but God does, and God's driving, and God will do it perfectly. That's what faith brings. It's a freeing faith, and that's one of the rewards with wisdom. Here's the second. Look at verse 7. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Here's the second reward. Reward number two, a healing fear. A healing fear. What do I mean by fear? Just a second here. Do you see the pattern before I do? See the pattern of command and then reward, command, reward, command, reward? Here's another one. The command in this one is don't trust yourself. Fear the Lord. Turn away from evil. What does fear mean? It means to have a holy and right and increasing understanding of the weightiness and the magnitude and the glory and the awesome and the power and the splendor of God. To not trivialize God as though he's insignificant. To not make light of God and say, ah, that God thing's a Sunday thing. Ah, that God thing's a Monday night thing. Ah, that God thing is not all my life. Come on. To not trivialize him. To not make light of him. To, worst of all, to not ignore him. Instead, we do the opposite. We make much of God. We consider him greatly. We consider him often. We hold a righteous, reverent awe of who he is. And with this grand view of God, you see this in verse seven, we turn away from evil. That makes sense. The more I see God in this awesome holy light, the more I think to myself, how can I possibly do what I'm gonna do against God? How can I possibly sin against God who loves me so much, who's so kind and so merciful and so forgiving? We turn away. You see our sin with this new light. That's the command. Now look at the promise. Verse eight, it will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Now that's the second time we've seen a promise like this. Back at verse two, we also saw that a life of wisdom opens the door for physical healing. Uh, a long life, it said. How is this so? Well, here's a couple options. Maybe it could maybe just be that you, in following Jesus Christ, are turning away from a destructive lifestyle. Maybe, maybe some of us are new enough in Christ to remember the old destructive lifestyle and the significant change in physical health that resulted from turning away from addictions, turning away from anxieties, turning away from fears, turning away from rage and anger and resentment and guilt and turning away from those emotional stresses and, and finding in yourself a, a newer desire. And now I don't want the things of the world anymore. Now I don't want the addictions. Now I don't want this lifestyle. Now I go to bed. Now I rest. Now I have peace. My lifestyle can change. That's one of the ways that God could bring about a physical healing. He could also bring about a, a, a clear conscience, and that makes us feel better too. Living a life of wisdom that has removed us from the stain of guilt and the shame of life lived apart from God. Now that conscience is clear. See, God's working in the heart here. That affects the body. And sometimes, just sometimes, my body heals as a result. We can't discount the whole counsel of God's word here. Living a life of wisdom could very well lead me to a place of dramatic healing. God can do that too. Even today, can he heal? Yes, he can. Here's what we can't say, however. If, here's what we can't say. If I follow God's rules, then God guaranteed will heal me. Can't say that. Why can't we say that? Well, more on this to come. Quickly, God has a specific plan to use difficulty and pain in his children's lives. We'll see that in just a second. 
But for now, it's a healing fear. That's a fruit of wisdom. As we turn away and we say, God, your ways are better. God, I'm repenting. I'm turning away from this lifestyle, this relationship of shame, this addiction. I fear you, the great and mighty God who gives mercy to the brokenhearted and crushed in spirit. I'm broken, God. I feel it in my body. And God heals. And God restores what's broken. It's a, it's a healing fear. And that's the second reward. Here's the third. Verse 9. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats be bursting with wine. Reward number three is a prosperous generosity. A prosperous generosity. Quickly on this one, the command in verse nine is right there. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. That word honor literally means to make heavy. You count God as significant. As weighty, I prioritize this. And I prioritize this with what God has given to me, entrusted to me. And I don't just do it with the scraps. I do it with, did you see in the text? The first fruits. First fruits is the best. It's the first thing you got. You give them the best of the best. God gets the best of the best. And that's not just my finances or my material goods. That's the best of the best of everything. He gets the best of the best of my energy. He gets the best of the best of my thoughts, of my finances, of my affections, of my possessions. He gets the best because he's worth it. I honor the Lord with him in this. You know, for many of us, there is no greater test to where our hearts are in respect to our love for God and our affection for God than an examination of our finances and how we spend our money. For the follower of Jesus Christ who's honoring the Lord with their wealth, they're giving because he's worth it. They're giving because they're thankful. They're giving because God will meet their needs. They're giving because they're being grown more and more into the image of God and God is a giving God. God is an abundantly giving God, and as you grow in Christ, you start to look like that as well. Honor the Lord. That's the command. Honor the Lord. But look at the promise. Then your barns will be filled with plenty, and your vats be bursting with wine. Now, this is a very, this is a very abused passage in God's word. And this is how it would look if you were abusing it. Wow, look at that. Right there in the Bible. If you honor God with your money, you will get lots of stuff. You'll get a barn. Actually, you'll get at least two barns because it's plural. Do you have a barn? I don't have a barn. I live in an apartment. I don't know. You're getting a barn. What else do we get? Well, they'll be filled with plenty, and then you're going to get vats. Do you have a vat? I don't have a vat. What's a vat look like? I don't know. Something big. You're going to have more than one of those, too, so at least two vats, and they're going to be bursting with wine. Do you like wine? I don't like wine. Well, you get bursting with wine. Sorry. That's how some people read this. Is that the right way to read God's Word? No. This is figurative language. It's poetry. And poetry that points to the underlying truth. Here's the underlying truth of these verses. God is generous towards generous people. God is generous towards generous people. How so? Well, there's two things to remember here, and I'm calling this the sometimes of prosperous generosity and the always of prosperous generosity. Here, here's what I mean. The sometimes and the always. So sometimes, sometimes, our generosity is met with God's generosity to prosper our barns. What do I mean by this? 
Maybe you've been walking the Lord long enough, or maybe you've seen this firsthand in your life, that when you are generous, when you have decided to honor the Lord with your finances and, and give to the Lord, whether it's to a person or to, to a ministry or a church or to a thing, you give to the Lord. And then all of a sudden, God gives back in a practical way. And the barns grow. And you were surprised by that. And then you started laughing at that. So you know, we talk about this often. You know, this finance thing is one of the only things, is the only thing in God's word where God says, test me. Go ahead and test me. Otherwise, it says, don't put the Lord God to a test. But in this one, finances, God says, test me. Go ahead, see. See if you can outgive me. And many of us have seen the blessing of that. Of I gave and God did what? Incredible. Incredible. Even just something small. I gave and God gave what? Sometimes our generosity is met with God's generosity to prosper our barns. Sometimes. Not always, as some preachers would say. But always, the always side, our generosity is met with God's generosity to prosper our hearts. In giving away what God has given to me, God chooses to grow my heart in such a way that can't be grown in any other way. As I give away what the world says is important, as I give away what people say, you're crazy to give that much or give that, you need to bank that. Don't you know these uncertain times? You give away, God prospers your heart. You know, one way to read verse 10, look at it again, then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats be bursting with wine. One way to read this, and I think this is meant here, is that in having given your wealth away, you understand contentment way better. In learning to live with less and learning to give more, you look at those barns of yours and you say, those vats that I thought were small, that barn that I thought didn't have a whole lot in it, kind of run down, central air doesn't work, they're enough. It's perfect for me. Look at what God has given me. Look at how much we have. It's enough. They're plenty. They're bursting. Randy Alcorn, he wrote an article just last week. If you know Randy Alcorn, he knows a lot about finances. God forced him into a place of having to live off minimum wage for years and years and years now. Um, he wrote this article. It's called 10 Ways Materialism Brings Us to Ruin. This is materialism, not money. It's the love of money. It's the love of stuff. Materialism, he says, destroys or has the ability to destroy our spiritual life. Materialism leads us to unhappiness and anxiety because we're always worried about our stuff and always wanting more of our stuff. Materialism leads to futility because you can't bring that stuff with you. Materialism obscures many of the best things in life which are free and don't cost $1,000 and don't need a $30 warranty every month. Good things like your family and your friends and, I don't know, salvation in Jesus Christ. Materialism spawns independence and self-sufficiency. I can do it on my own or I can pay for it if I can't do it on my own. Materialism leads to pride and elitism. And here's the most devastating. Materialism distracts us from our ultimate purpose in this life to herald the worth and the glory of Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world. We get lost instead in our own stuff. And I want more. And wisdom calls out to us, don't live this way. Don't live this way. Honor the Lord with your finances. And you stop all that. Whatever that looks like for you. John Steinbeck, he's an American author. He wrote The Grapes of Wrath. He's not a believer. He said this, but I think it's accurate. If I want to destroy a nation, I would give it too much. And then I would have it on its knees, miserable, greedy, and sick. 
You could take out the word nation there, right? If I wanted to destroy a church, I would give it too much and I would have it on its knees, miserable, greedy, and sick. If I wanted to destroy a family, I would give it too much and I would have it on its knees, miserable, greedy, and sick. If I wanted to destroy a man, I would give him too much and I would have him on his knees, miserable, greedy, and sick. Now, John Steinbeck is not a believer. The gospel truth comes in, though, and tells us as wisdom speaks, yes, miserable, greedy, and sick, but if you honor the Lord with your first fruits, that doesn't have to be your reality. See, wisdom gives the right understanding of where real wealth is found. It's not found in barns or vats, but in giving honor to the Lord with our wealth. That's prosperous generosity. And that's the third reward that wisdom brings, but there's a fourth. Nine to ten just told us how do you live when you have a lot. And eleven or, and twelve will tell us how do we live and honor the Lord and walk in wisdom when we don't have a whole lot. In fact, what we have is, is pain. Here's the fourth reward of wisdom. I think it's my favorite. Verse 11, my son, my son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. See, as the word grows, wisdom grows, and the blessing grows with it. Here's reward number four. It's this, an enduring maturity. So far, wisdom has changed the way that we see the direction of our life. We take the hands off the wheel, and it allows us to sit there and ride by faith wherever God would take us. Wisdom has allowed to see the, the problem in our hearts, the sin in our life, and allow me to turn away and find healing. Wisdom has allowed me to see the wealth in my life and turn away and allow me to be generous with it. And then this last one, it allows me, wisdom, allows me to see the difficulties and the hurt and the pain and the loss and the despair and allows me to take hold of a God who loves me and whose help is available for me because this life is not easy. I could roll out a scroll of some of you and this is what 2019 looked like and tears would fill this room. You know full well that life is not easy. Life is not rosy. But God intends during even these times of difficulty and pain to grow us and to mature us. God uses the trial as a father trains a son because he loves him. God uses the trial to train us because he loves us. Let me explain it this way. I came up with this a little while ago. A little trialology, as it were. In the midst of trial, Solomon writes the proverb, really explaining who's in control. Who's in control of trial? Well, here's option two. Others are in control, or no one's in control, or chaos is in control. And as a result of this, there's no time limit, because I'm just spinning out there, and who knows when it's going to end. And there's no duration, and there's no plan. This is just chaos. I'm just caught in the cycle of this horrible work situation, or this horrible family situation, or this health situation, and I can't get out of it. It's just randomness, and therefore, God has abandoned me. Others are in control of my trial. No one thinks like that, right? That's how I think all the time when difficulty comes. This is my default if there's not wisdom in my life. But wisdom speaks to us and says, no, no, no. As a father disciplines his son, 
See, God is in control of the trial, says scripture over and over and over again. And if God is in control, then God sets the limit and God sets the duration and God has a specific plan to bring about my holiness and God will bring about ultimately a maturity in Jesus Christ that I couldn't have had before the trial. But I can eject from the trial. Here's the next slide. What is the purpose of the trial? Maybe the purpose of trials is just to get out of trials. You get into a trial, I gotta get out of this as quick as possible. And naturally we think about that and naturally we should get away from some trials, but there are some trials that you can't get out of, right? But there are some trials you can't get out of, right? There's some things you didn't ask for and you can't buy your way out of it and you can't work your way out of it and you can't figure out a way or ask a way, you can't get out of it. Some you can. And if I escape the trial, if I don't want to try anymore, if it's just too hard, that relationship's just too hard, that life is too hard, I just, I just can't do it anymore. And I escape it. Well, then look what I give up. God's strength's not needed, prayer's not needed, faith's not needed, thanksgiving's not gained, endurance not needed, maturity not found. I just escaped. But maybe there's a trial I can't get out of. And I choose, by God's grace, to endure. I'm gonna keep walking, God. I'm gonna keep trusting that your hands are on the wheel and your plan for my life has not been broken. Just as you have always done good, you will do good in even this. And then what happens in this trial is you endure by God's grace, holding God's hand and finding his strength sufficient for you and power and weakness. You see, okay, God's strength is needed. Yes. I find prayer is needed, and all of a sudden, I'm growing in my prayer life and talking to God like I've never grown before. How many of us have experienced desperation in this life that has accelerated our prayer life? We know what this is like. This is God's plan. Faith has grown, thanksgiving gained, endurance gained, maturity gained. This is God's plan. And sometimes it is through the way of pain and sorrow and trial. You see, what God's word is saying to us, what God's word says here, even in Proverbs 3, is that correction and difficulty and pain and trial, even ones you never were looking for, they are not proof of God's anger or abandonment of you. They are proof of God's love for you if you would hold his hand and walk with him through this. And the wise heart turns to the Lord in this. But this is difficult. This is difficult teaching. We need to remember, though, that God has promised that he will protect everything in our home. But this world is not our home. This is a temporary place that's filled with pain and hurt and death and loss. But God will preserve everything, not one thing lost in your ultimate home. This place prepares us for where we were really belonging to go. And the trials and the pain and the tears and even the loss bring the endurance to the believer of Jesus Christ and they look to the future reward of Christ in heaven. But that kind of perspective only comes from wisdom. Think of how courageous that would make you this year as you walk even in the hard things. See, I think this year, 2020, whatever it will look like, for all of us, we can almost guarantee that there will be some good and there will be some difficult. 
There'll be great days and then there'll be really hard days. And the option is left to you to choose, okay, where am I gonna be led by? Is it the voices of the world around me or is it this book that speaks truth to us? And the God who says, I can make good on these promises. I can give you these rewards if you follow me in wisdom. If you cling and seize to it, you can find this kind of release. You can find this freedom in faith and healing. You can find this generous prosperity. You can find even grace in the difficulties of this life. Is there a reason for wisdom this year? Yes, you bet. Is there wisdom needed today? Yes, you bet. Do you need the Lord's help? Do we need the Lord's help to do this? Yes, you bet, 100%. And that's why we pray. Let's pray together. God, for grace in our weakness for this. We thank you, Lord, for the reminder again from your word of your great love for us, even in the midst of difficulty and storm and challenge and pain. There is grace there for us. The words of our Savior speak to us that he will never leave and never forsake. And we look forward to that this year. But to walk in this way, to walk with courage, even when the world doesn't seem to be making any sense, we need the wisdom of your word. And so, Lord, we pray, please, God, would you do that work in our hearts? Would you cultivate in us a hunger that cannot be quenched with the things of the world, but must be quenched from the word of God? That we would hear of you and read of you and love you and bind these things in our heart and then walk in wisdom. And then, God, see the blessing that you promised all of us. We thank you, God. As we close our time together, we sing to you and the reality of a God who never leaves, who never forsakes, who walks with us even in the darkest times, your love speaking loudly to us even today. And God, I pray that as we close our time, we sing this triumphantly to you. We bless you, Lord. You are the God of all. Your plans are perfect. Lead us, lead us in these plans. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.